0: For me, once I removed all religions from my faith and said, everybody has faith, that was the objective energy that I put into the flow to get what I want. I had faith that no matter what happened in my life, it was gonna make me better. It was gonna put me into a better position.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. We're here for another episode of Comeback Stories. Today's guest is David Meltzer. David's a co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as the CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. He's a three-time international best-selling author, a top 100 business coach, the executive producer of Entrepreneur's number one digital business show, Elevator Pitch, and the host of the top entrepreneur podcast, The Playbook. His newest book, Game Time Decision Making, was a number one release, and David has been recognized by Variety Magazine as their Sports Humanitarian of the Year and awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. His life's mission is to empower over one billion people to be happy. And this simple yet powerful mission has led him on an incredible journey to provide one thing, value. In all of his content and communication, that's exactly what you'll receive. And I can promise you, you're going to get that today. So welcome, David.
0: Yeah, what an honor to be here. It's always good to be in a grouping of Ds, the best letter to start your name with. So thanks for having me.
1: We're glad you're here. Thanks for making time. So we always dive right into the story of your story. We want to know for you, can you tell us what growing up for you was like?
0: Yeah, you know, growing up for me, and I called it the world of not enough. I grew up with enough love. I had a single mom, six kids in my family, but I have this extraordinary mom that worked two jobs, packed my dinner in a paper bag in between teaching second grade and filling up turnstiles at convenience stores with greeting cards just so we could eat. But there's no shortage. And I'm sure a lot of poor kids feel this way, especially as they got older. Like there's no shortage of love and happiness, but there's a shortage of money and. The only time I wasn't happy was when that shortage of money became apparent. You know, a car breaking down in my house, I just had one of my teenage daughter's totaled a car. Nobody got hurt in a parking lot. And it was like an hour of interference in my day, right? Nothing. I'm telling you, that happened when I was a kid. Like all these issues, crying, stress. So in my mind at five years old, the only thing that was missing in my life was money. And that was gonna buy me the last piece of happiness and love that was missing from my life. And so I lived in this world of not enough where everything happened to me. I was a victim. I was gonna prove everything, total chip on my shoulder. But the one thing I had was nothing was gonna stop me. And I still have that in my being today that I have a desire that I must be what I can be. And the worst thing you're gonna do is laugh at me, stop at me, make fun of me because eventually I'm gonna make sure you applaud me.
1: Man, we touch on that whole not enough story a lot. Darren's story, a huge piece of it is not enough. Mine is the same. Can you talk a little bit about how that not enough story drove you and maybe in a healthy way and in an unhealthy way?
0: Yeah, in a very healthy way, it helped me to keep my options open. See, when you don't have enough, you're always looking and some people would say scheming. And I think that's a little bit in my personality. I was always looking, scheming for options and opportunities to have enough. Cutting corners, finding efficiencies, but also for opportunities. It also forced the creativity about me that a lot of people, you know, that I worry about my own children having, right? Because they don't have that need to look and see how am I going to figure this out. You know, like, I, you know, I want to make some extra money. I was always looking at different ways, and I will tell you, when I received more in my life, still to have that capability of looking for options and opportunities where. The, other people can't see them, especially during the pandemic, has been a superpower. So I think that was the strength of it. The problem of it is what I call size, scope, scale, and sale. And I know this is going to resonate with you too. See, the problem growing up and Not Enough is you're always asking for crumbs because you don't know any better. You know, my business partner, Warren Moon, he used to tell me, I'm saying, I can't wait till, you know, there's a lot of black quarterbacks in the league, man. We're going to show them when he came over from Canada to, to show them in the NFL. And he looked at me, he said, Dave, I can't wait for the day where they don't call you a black quarterback, right? That's like a, a non-entity. And so the world of scale, the, the of that size, scope, and scale changes. See, most people that grow up with not enough, it's so small, the world you live in. You think that, man, I, I, I want a million dollars. I'm buying my mom a house and a car. And I'm going to retire a million dollars. That's all I wanted. And I realized I'm asking for crumbs. But the worst part is not just the size, scope, and scale when you're poor. It's the sale part. See, you're, all, you're always looking for something on sale. So you're putting your energy into finding you know, the scheme, the around, the shortcut. You're always negotiating so hard to save money and do all these things. When nobody's teaching you, when you live in that world of not enough, hey, man, you live in infinity. You live in limitlessness. And two, don't worry about buying things on sale. Worry about making so much money that you don't care if it's on sale. You're not going to get ripped off because you're smart enough, but you don't have to spend all your time. I used to drive like eight miles to save two cents on gas. Well, I probably burned more gas than the two cents saved me because I was programmed. The size, scope and scale and sale was killing me. And it also helped me and hurt me. When I went and became a millionaire, a multi-millionaire, and we get into that part of how it manifested itself. So there's strengths and weaknesses in everything.
1: I appreciate you you breaking down the the duality of that because as a coach and Darren and I have conversations like this all the time where it's a lot of people do get to the top, and it's that not enough. It's the chip, but it's the unhealthy chip. It, it's the chip that has them looking around the corner for the next thing, checking up the next item on the to do list, which there's a hook there because we never actually land in the present moment. So a lot of people get to the top, but then they realize they're still unhappy because they're chasing something that's actually—it's an inside job. It's about fi- fi- figuring out a way to be enough for ourselves.
0: Yeah, indeed, I mean both these—you guys have an imposter syndrome, you know, as well when you meet it, because then you're like, I shortcutted my way here, or I'm not worth like all the guys that were smarter than me they didn't make it here. All the guys who were better athletes than me didn't make it here. All the guys, and you're like, I don't really deserve to be here. And, you know, until you realize what you really are and what you're doing to interfere with what you really are, did you guys have any of that in your experience?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still battle that even today, you know. Like, I feel like I have a with allowing myself to have good things. Like recent Like, recent news came out where, they ranked me as the number 35 player in the NFL. And as soon as that, yeah, I was just something inside me was just like, no, like, whatever, like, any kind of compliment. I'm just like, get it out of here. Like, I don't want to really hear it. It's, I'm just trying to trace that deeper and deeper and realize that, you know, I feel like even though I've changed my behaviors and my actions to make a better life, I still feel like I don't really deserve these things. I'm just kind of, you know, like an imposter. So, yeah, I could definitely
0: play. Most definitely. And it's a thermostat, right? I, you, you got to break your own thermostat. Sometimes you, and this is how I lost everything. For you know those people that don't know my story, I lost over a hundred million dollars in my '30s while I was running Lee Steinberg. And you know, it was like a thermostat. I was almost relieved, you know, when I lost everything that I was put back to where my temperature was supposed to be. Even though, you know, I had this extraordinary capability, just like you guys do, right? You have this extraordinary gift, this blessing, and yet. I never was truly grateful for it because I never accepted it. I always thought, you know, somehow it was an accident, a mistake or a scam or me overselling, back-end selling, lying, manipulating, and cheating my way there. But it wasn't. I, I earned it. And I earned it with both currencies, money and faith. And it really helped me to lose everything, to reset and say, how am I going to do this a different way? I went from the world of not enough to a world, you know, you guys know this world, especially in your playing now. I call it the world of just enough. Buying things you don't need to impress people you don't like. And people go broke that way. I went broke that way. And you don't feel worthy. And so you 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 want to give all your money away because you're not worthy of it. And you're like, ah, I don't need this. I was, in part of it, you were more happy when you did not have it because you were pursuing so much more. But when you can learn to enjoy that consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential and re- realize the more I receive, the more I give, that's the first step of what our parents taught us, which was the more you give, the more you receive. And here's my greatest lesson, guys, that I've learned recently. Okay. If this is what you have and you say, I'm going to appreciate what I have, which means you're going to add value to it when your house appreciates. So now you expand what you have by appreciating it. And then when you give it away, you now have a bigger spot for the universe to give you more. So in order for the rule of the universe of our parents, right? The more you give, the more you receive to work. You got to receive first, appreciate it, and give it away, then you receive more. The problem is they don't take that first part and they just say, you know, the more you give, the more you receive. Well, meanwhile, people that don't have anything are giving everything away and they're wondering why they don't have anything. You got to receive first to start the process of appreciation. Give it away, that creates acknowledgement. You now acquire the knowledge of what you had, which allows you to receive more. And it's true about accolades, Darren, as well. Instead of saying, I'm not worthy of being number 35, you know, your head is that I can do better than this. Regardless of what they think, whatever ranking 350, 35, or three, all in my mind, when I get these awards and accolades, I say, I can do better than this. Because I know I can. I know I can do better. And they can rank me where they want. But I know I can do better. That's the only thing I really have to determine, not where I am, but where I should be.
1: The way that you just broke that down was so powerful. And I hope our listeners were taking notes or hitting rewind and listening to that again, because what I took from that is the receiving part all has to start with the belief system we have for ourselves. It all has to start with that and our own self-worth before we can truly receive. And a lot of that also
0: is having an open heart to receive all the love that's all around us all the time bam, man. I mean, I'll tell you this biggest paradigm shift in my life. I spent my whole life chasing happiness, health, wealth, and worthiness. All that time. That's all I was chasing. I did, as if I didn't have it. The minute I shifted the paradigm and said, I am healthy. I am worthy. I am wealthy. I am happy. What am I doing to interfere with what I already am? That paradigm shift allowed me to start improving at an exponential accelerated rate because I was looking at, was I not? Exercising my body enough to be healthy. That was that interfering with it. Was taking drugs and alcohol? Was that interfering with it? Was I in bad relationships that was interfering around? I had this great chain of feeding for everything. I analyzed things saying, if it feeds me, I will feed it. If it doesn't, it's a varying degree to fall away in my life. But if it bleeds me, I'm gonna fire it. In business, I'm a big business coach as you know now. I can't tell you, major corporations, I like got big oil and gas company, they had a client. million client, 80% of the resources were going to this $20 million client, and they had a $2 billion client, and they barely had any resources on this client. I said, why is that? They said, well, these guys need a lot of help. We're gonna lose them unless we stay on top of them. We gotta put all these people down there in person, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what about the $2 billion? He said, oh no, they've been there since the beginning. You know, we've made them that big. They don't need hardly anyone to take, I said, have you ever realized if you took all those resources, And put it into the people that are giving you $2 billion, it would turn into $4 billion. And if you fired the $20 million client, you'd have a net of 1.889 billion, whatever it was, right? But people don't think that way. As much as that's obvious with money, how about your relationships? How about your teammates? How about, you know, the ideas that you have? Where are you putting your energy? Like if you have siblings, I will tell you, I one sibling takes all my energy, and he's the one that bleeds me all the time. Why aren't I feeding the ones that feed me? Right? And let him fall away. I don't need to fire my my brother, but let him fall away. I don't need him to bleed me all the time. I can spend all that energy, emotion, and money on the people who are feeding me, not the people bleeding.
1: And you're dropping some some deep wisdom early and often on on our show here. Can you go back into an early memory of pain that you had?
0: Yeah. Well, for me, the biggest pain that I had was seeing my mom cry, but I was abused as a nine-year-old and never came out about it until I sat down in an interview with Sugar Ray Leonard. who told me how he was on an interview with Todd Bridges and he had never told anyone that he was abused when he was nine or the little boy. And I, I broke down crying and he looked at me and he said, you've been abused too. And I forgot the cameras were there. And I was like, yeah, when I was nine until I was about thirteen. And so I, I speak to kids all the time now. And, you know, during the pandemic, I, I ask questions. And these are elementary school kids. And one of the elementary schools said, Mr. Maltzer, are you were you ever afraid to go home? Right? I'm like, Yeah. And it hit me. And thank goodness the superintendent of the school was on there because he realized I gotta start addressing because abuse is going up because of the pandemic. And they haven't been, you know, making kids feel comfortable of being aware of what's okay and what's not okay and what we should do. And it hit me, right? The amount of pain that I hid for so many years, it took me until my fifties to go to therapy because for so many years, I just blacked out being abused and, and felt very, I was sexually abused. So, you know, very uncomfortable, especially in the seventies, right? And, Blame myself, said so I looked at it in my therapy, like, why didn't I tell anybody? It must have been my fault. And then, you know, I looked at a picture of me when I was nine, right? And I just started crying. I'm like, you can't give me one circumstance that it's okay to do that to a nine-year-old boy. It's just not okay. And it's not my fault. Right? I get choked up right now because what I learned though about that pain is that pain's gonna occur in everyone's life. There is some trauma. That's gonna happen to everyone. It's part of living. But it's what we do with the pain, the struggles, the setbacks, the failures, the mistakes, what we do with it. And there's two schools. And I think this is why I made my millions back so quickly. Right? People like, how you get over losing a hundred million bucks? That's a that's a lot of pain, right? You go from having everything to moving into a rented house with rented furniture and one car while you're running the most notable sports agency in the world, it's a big pain. But pain to me had already been trained to be a propeller. See, And athletes, I'm sure I'd love to hear Darren too and Donnie about how pain has propelled you, it hasn't punished you. See, I never took the position that when that happened to me for four years that I was being punished by anybody. What it was gonna do was gonna propel me to a better place, a better position. It was a turn signal, not a stop sign in my life. I wasn't going to make me be a victim. I was gonna make it my story. And I somehow inherently learned that pain was always something that would put me in a better place. It was propelling me to something better. And that's when I realized I had been born with a genetic and energetic faith. See, money is what I teach most people. It's an object of energy we put into the flow to get what we want. I teach people to have the reasons to shop for the right things, to be happy. If they shop for things they don't need or things they don't have reasons for or things to impress people they don't like, they're gonna be unhappy. But faith was something I never taught because I always put some separate religious context onto faith, for me, once I removed all religions from my faith and said, everybody has faith, that was the objective energy that I put into the flow to get what I want. I had faith that no matter what happened in my life, it was gonna make me better. It was gonna put me into a better position. Faith was the ultimate GPS. Not only was it gonna reroute me, but if I put in a sushi restaurant, it would actually say, no, I got a better sushi restaurant for you. So I'm going to reroute you and get you to a better restaurant than the one you're thinking about. So that's how faith has played a major role and pain has played a major role in my life because it is not a stop sign. It's a turn signal. It is not punishment. It is a propeller. And it has made me who I am. And I get excited, not masochistic, but when I have struggles, pain, setbacks, failures, and mistakes, I actually see it as an opportunity to grow, learn, and accelerate. I don't, get discouraged and think that somehow I've done something wrong or I'm being punished
1: well I think having that having that strong faith allows you whether it's God higher power universe whatever you choose to call it allows you to also trust or have faith in the process which allows you to see that every event it's not the event that happens it's the meaning we attach to it so it's all perspective and it's all the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset or being stuck in victim mentality which Not to say what happened to you wasn't messed up, but at some point we have to accept that it's happened and attach some meaning to it and, and in a sense, turn our pain into our purpose.
0: Yeah. And every great athlete has had to do that either via injury, getting cut, somebody not believing them, not being treated fairly. I, I, you know, been around probably more athletes than you guys have known, you know, in my career every single one of them have an extraordinary story, right? You know, Ray Lewis, just incredible story. Dr. J, incredible story. LeBron James, every single person, believe it or not, no matter where they are, where they started, have, you know, Michael Jordan was cut from his 10th grade team. Talk about, I was with Tim Grover last weekend. We were talking about the difference in the meaning of winning to certain people. And you give meaning to everything you see. And it does, meaning has a different degree, a different meaning to everyone. Happiness, the same thing. Abundance, the same thing and so does pain. And the way that we can reconcile that with our successes, with our happiness, our worthiness, that's what's going to determine how much we can give, which will determine how great of an impact we can have.
1: Who would you say growing up or in your earlier years was your first real teacher?
0: Well, my mom, for sure. And then my two grandfathers, who both came over from Russia. You know, They were six-day-a-week, 12-hour-a-day people they're optimistic and hardworking. Um, but you know, my mom was my greatest mentor. Uh, she didn't know anything about business. So as I got older, I started realizing just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. And I think a lot of athletes also get into trouble that way because in order to get to where they were, their family really had to get them there. Uh, but then they tried to rely on them for advice that they have no idea about. You know, my mom actually told me in 92, 1992 that the internet was a fad that I'd waste my entire legal education and career pursuing the internet that I had
2: to be a real lawyer. You know, needless to say, the internet seems to be pretty strong. You know, some of the stuff you've been saying so far is really just driving home how grateful we are to have you on this show. Like we said, like pain is not a stop sign, it's a turn signal. It's like, that's really what comeback stories is all about. Finding a way with hit with adversity to continue to write your story. I know a lot of people listening may not be able to Emulate your resume or things that you've accomplished, but they can relate to you on the basis of facing adversity. You talked about the hundred million dollars that you lost. Would you consider that the greatest moment of adversity that you've had in your life? And if not, what was that moment for you and what did it look and feel like?
0: Yeah. Two years before I lost everything was the greatest adversity because I, I had to save my own life. So as much as money means something to you, health is my number one non-negotiable, then my family. Then the, what I call the activity, I get paid for my money. Two years before I lost everything, I almost lost my life and my family. I, I had been surrounding myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas, buying things I didn't need. I was a multimillionaire. I'd actually married my dream girl from the fourth grade. I could not have written my story at five years old better than, than where I was standing at that time two years before I lost everything and also not been happy. I wasn't happy. So I had three things that happened real quick that changed my life. When I was 30, which is six years before the period which I'm talking about, when I was 30, my dad, who had left when I was five, gave me a jacket for my 30th birthday. Recently married to my dream girl from the fourth grade. I open it. I put it on. It fits perfectly. I start to cry. My wife's like, why are you crying? I go, because my dad gets it. He took time to get this thing. And I opened it up. He tore all the pockets out of it. I went from complete bliss that my dad and I were going to have a relationship that he finally gets it to anger and hate. I call him up and like, dad, why are you punishing me? Once again, it's right. Pain, punishment. Why are you punishing me? I'm not punishing you. Why would you give me a gift after 20 years of not giving me a gift, not talking to me? Why would you give me a jacket with no pockets? I can't even wear it. He said, it's not for wearing. I said, why are you giving me a jacket not to wear? He said, it's to remind you you can't take anything with you when you're gone. It's to remind you that money doesn't buy love or happiness. It's to remind you you're just like me. And I wasn't ready to hear it six years ago. I'm like, I'm nothing like you, man. You're a liar. Up And I hung the jacket in the closet. Six years later, I'm running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. At that time, I was running Samsung's phone division. Lee hired me because of my technological background, my law degree and my sports Experience as a customer from Samsung. I'd done a bunch of endorsement, licensing, sponsorship and advertising deals, as a customer. So he hires me to take Jeff Morad's spot. My best friend, Rob, I invite to go to the masters. You guys will get this, right? I'm right. He loves golf. My best friend, he actually asked my wife to go steady for me in the sixth grade and sixth grade camp. And she said, no, tell him to ask me himself. So I do an A gather. So this was a big miracle. I married this girl. Anyway, Rob, I asked him to the masters. He said, I'm not going with you, the Masters. I'm like, Rob, we're going back to the cabin with Curtis Strange. I got Troy Aikman, Warren Moon, Joe Montana, the NetJets party, with pro- flying private. I got badges. Are you kidding me? He goes, I'm not going. I don't like who you hang out with and what you're doing. And I looked at him and I'm like, come on, man. I'm not doing what those other guys are doing. He said, Dave, you can lie to me all you want, but don't lie to yourself. You're on a bad path, man. And I left there crying mad, never wanted to talk to Rob again, hated Rob, hated my dad. Two weeks later, my life would change. Two weeks later, I tell my wife I'm going to go to the Grammy Awards. See, it's one thing to be rich, you guys will get this, but to have access is even better than being rich. So I was rich and I could go to Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby, Reader's Cup, sb 7, Oscars, Grammys, Backstage. So I tell my wife, I'm going to the Grammy Awards with little John. She said, no, you're not. You're not paying attention to the family. You're not paying attention to your work. And I'm worried about how much you're partying. You you shouldn't go. So I lied to her. I went, changed clothes in the car, came home wasted at 530 in the morning. And that's when my life changed. Way more painful than losing the money. My wife was there, my dream girl, and said, I'm not happy. I'm leaving you. And you better take stock in who you were and, and what you wanna become because you're gonna die. And I'm not hanging out to watch this. This is not gonna end well for you, I'm leaving. I got so mad at her, I said, I hate you. All that I've done for you, look around you, we have a Ferrari, a Porsche, a boat, a motorhome, a ski mountain, a ball. how dare you talk to me this way, you B word, I hate you, and I went to bed. I woke up in the morning, about to end it all, right? Literally calling to get a divorce, I'm going to make her unhappy. I'm going to take all her money, my kids. I'm going to show her. And there it was. I hadn't seen it in years, sitting in my closet, that jacket. I looked at the jacket. I'm still choked up. I just started crying. I'm like, I do not hate my dad. I don't hate my best friend, Rob. And I definitely don't hate my wife. I hate myself. I'm a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, a back-end seller, an overseller. I hate myself, and I got to make some changes. The pain of telling yourself after everyone in the world dreams about being in your position. Great job, great, I had three daughters under five, gorgeous, everybody's healthy, parents all, I mean, you couldn't name one thing that was wrong in my life, and I was about to end it all. And literally, that pain to me was far greater. When I started living my life through gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and effective communication to live with faith and inspiration, by the time I lost everything was an aspect of what I had done in the past. I was prepared to make it back. It took me two weeks to make my first million. I was ready. So that pain was difficult. The hardest part of that pain was telling my mom, not only I went bankrupt, but I lost her house because I forgot to take my name off the title. And the only reason I want to be rich was to buy her a house. I lost it, told her, Hey, mom, I'm bankrupt. I'm crying. I go, I lost everything. You're going to have to move it. And she said, are you okay? I said, no mom, I don't think you heard me. I lost everything. You have to move out of your house. I lost your house. I heard you. Are you okay? Do you need any money? No mom, you've got to move like soon. I heard you. Do you need anything? I love you. Are you okay? That hit me, man. That to me was so inspirational that the woman I thought was so weak my whole life, she got it and I didn't. She understood the power and I didn't. Even though she never made more than probably seventeen thousand dollars a year, she understood more
2: than I ever would about unconditional love. I can relate to so much of that, you know, just uh, hating myself because I feel like I created a lot of success in my life. You know, I was in the league, and I felt like I had access to a lot of things, and you know, things look great on paper and to other people, but really, you know, I was hating myself for all the times that I basically betrayed myself to project this image of me to other people to fit in, to be accepted and thinking that, you know, these monetary, these material things were going to change how I felt or change the way that I looked at my life and it wasn't the case. So I was mad at myself for continuing to lead that lie as well. And, um, you know, I feel like, like you said, that that release, that, that freedom from admitting and owning up to it and not denying anything anymore and knowing that you're the problem that's when there's so much more room, like you said, for the universe to work in your life. So, to hear you say like how quick you were able to just get back into things, you know, how do you feel like? Do you, would you say like that's the most valuable experience you've ever been to? Has that taught you the most of I anything mean, you've ever gone through? Like, what what can you take from that? What do you you, you think helps you most today? Well, first of all, I want to thank
0: you both of you for your vulnerability, right? Because I think you know, as I learned from being a sports agent, it's one thing. You know, if I say, you know, don't hit, a, don't hit a child or a woman. But if Evander Holyfield says real men don't hit women, it means something else. And we need more, you know, athletes, celebrities, entertainers to come out and to allow people to know, Hey, look, I'm vulnerable too. I'm living the same journey you are. And I do that in the monetary aspect of, you know, saying, look, I, I get it. I've had everything, but it's okay. The courage and the vulnerability that you have, you know, the lessons though through the process, were the reaffirmation of what I learned before I was three. And the two things that I took away, which is so funny because as you both know, I speak around the world and sometimes I get a little bit woo-woo, metaphysical, a little bit above the grade of the the common TikTok listener, let's just put it that way. But of everything that I teach, you know, I can teach the laws of of physics, metaphysics, and quantum physics, but everything I teach The two things that have the most impact that I learned through this whole experience is one, gratitude. And it's the most impactful thing that people tell me they hear me say is just say thank you. Thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up. Say it for 30 straight days will change your life. And it's not as easy as it sounds, right? If you do it for 30 straight days, you will see a quantitative difference in your life. But most people can't do it. By tonight, as much as everyone knows the power of gratitude from Oprah to Deepak to Sadhguru to every world thought leader to every grandmother in the world, it's amazing. Half of us won't say thank you, but tomorrow morning, another half won't say thank you. Within three days, none of us will say thank you, even though we know thank you so powerful. So I joke around that before I was three, every relative of mine, especially my mom and my grandparents, were teaching me to say thank you. And that's really the lesson. I had to lose $100 million Right? I, I had to almost lose my life and my marriage and my family and my girls because I wasn't grateful. And then the other one's a little bit more subtle, but it's a lesson that we also learn before we're three. Ask for help. I Remember, use your big boy words, ask for help. You'll see this with athletes especially, guys. They don't ask for help. They don't tell people I don't know. They're not vulnerable. You, there's only two types of people in the world. Ignorant people and ignorant people. What does that mean? Nobody knows anything. We don't know what we don't know. So the classes of ignorance are ignorant, humble people that admit that they don't know what they don't know and they ask for help. And then there's ignorant, arrogant people that pretend like they know but they don't know and they cause separation, anxiety, resentment, offense, inferiority, superiority. This is the problem with politics and you know, of course our racial and gender differences, It's just the ignorant, arrogant people that are afraid to say they don't know what they don't know instead of everyone coming from, like you two do, a place of humility where you're vulnerable and say, look, I don't know what I don't know. Rule number six applies to my life every day. I don't take myself so seriously, but what I am is grateful for what I do know. And I'm also always willing to ask for help and to uh, make available my help.
2: I love that. We talk a lot about how... uh... We tell ourselves stories. Dolly and I talk about your story that matters most is the story that you tell yourself. And I know back then it may have been I have to earn this thing. Once I get this thing, once I get there, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be grateful. What was, what is the story that you say that you tell yourself now? And what was the process like of you getting to that story? The early story was I want everyone to love me.
0: I want everyone to love me. I'm going to be everything to everyone. I want them to be rich. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be a great athlete, a great, I want everyone to love me. I, that That's all I want. And the story has changed and evolved to one simple story. I love myself. I can't give what I don't have. But when I learned to love myself, other people learned to love me. And I looked at that interference I was creating about what I thought I needed or wanted or was pursuing, I already had. And as anybody knows, it is basic. When you try to get people to like you or love you, it's almost like a kryptonite they're pushed off and, and tailed. I don't know that guy's like so needy and you know he, he, that was me I just wanted everyone to love me and I was willing to work really hard for it but until I learned truly to love myself that's when it all opened up so that's the journey uh, that I was on
1: you're speaking our jam right there I mean that's it's just so so powerful and I think these are tools I, I talk about this a lot how it sure would have been nice to have learned some of this stuff in school like this isn't the stuff that that we were taught. Darren and I touch on the four agreements a lot of this whole domestication process where we agree upon certain things because maybe one person, whether it be a parent, um, our first boyfriend or girlfriend that tells us that we're not lovable or that we're not good enough and then we just agree. And then that thought gets so rooted into our brain, into the neural pathways in our brain that it's hard to get out of that. But that's why these practices, and like you talked about with gratitude, which I love that that you brought that up because I always believe that gratitude changes the way that we see the world. And it does, it turns what we have into enough. It, it's And you can't be grateful and stressed at the same time either. You, it brings us into the present moment every time we come, it brings us back to our
0: bodies. Yeah, it, it binds the truth, right? Gratitude, so there's love in everything. And so our determination is some things we innately love. So for me, it was football right? From five years old, I carried a football around. I still, if I see a football field, something lights up inside of me. But there's other things that I don't innately love, energetically or genetically. They're not born in me. And so what I do is then I decide, is it worth learning to love it? Because it, there's love in it. You know, if us three we went to a, a fair and we were walking down the food section, we might see the fried snicker bars. Two of us may say, oh my God, that looks so good. I love that. And the other person may go, that's disgusting. That doesn't mean there's not love and light in the Snicker bar. Now, the one of us that doesn't like it has to make a determination: am I willing to make the effort to learn to love that? Or are, you know, my time better spent with other things that I may easier love or may have more benefit for me than that Snicker bar. And so, you know, for example, if you love, you know, some kind of vegan impossible burger, you know, in a green shake, and that innately is what you love. It won't be worth your time to learn to love the fried snicker bar. Why would you do that? These are the determinations of what I call the what, the who, the how, the now, and the why. Meaning people need to know their what. They need to know who they can help and who can help them. They need to know how to get it done through the lenses of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. And then they can determine what's important to them using the varying degree of bleeding and feeding of their own priorities of values of the what, the who, and the how, then what you do is everybody has why in them. They apply the why. They're inspired, in spirit. They don't go searching for a why the same way we don't go searching for love. We apply our love. We give our love and we give our why to the what, the who, the how, and the now. And 100% of the things we do now get done. The more you get done, the more you will be profitable, passionate, and purposeful in what you do. So these are like pragmatic step-by-step things that I teach, these daily practices to allow yourself to do three things. Make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. There's the blend of the faith in the money currency, the blend of thoughtfulness with the blend of what I call the speed of light, man-made construct. The only thing in this world that is based off of is 186,000 miles per second the speed of light. That creates the 24 hours in the day that we all share. How are you utilizing the activities of the 24 hours? How are you using with the stuff you have planned, don't have planned in your sleep? That's gonna determine the value of your life.
1: There's so much there. And what I hear in all of your words is you fully in the flow, like you in your purpose speaking. I mean, there's so much depth and richness to everything you're sharing. I mean, I'm just super grateful to, to have somebody that's quality of a human being as you on our show. So speaking of gratitude, like what are are you most grateful for today?
0: Three three things I'm always grateful for. Number one, my health. Uh, I want to reiterate this to everyone because it took me too many years to figure this one out. I spend a minimum of an hour a day on my health. Why? Because when you're healthy, you get as many wishes a day as you want. And there's nothing more valuable to me than a wish taking a possibility to a probability and making it my reality, making my reality surpass other people's imaginations. So I want wishes in my life. And if I'm unhealthy, I only get one wish to be healthy. So health is the number one thing uh, that I'm prioritizing. Then my family, my wife, my 11 year old, my three daughters and my mom, especially. And then all the content that I create to create a community to empower over a billion people. So I have three TV shows, Elevator Pitch, Two Minute Drill. Office Hours is the first late night entrepreneur show coming out on Bloomberg in November. Uh, very proud of that. Obviously, the playbook went from Entrepreneurs the Playbook with Entrepreneur Magazine to I licensed another playbook to Blue Wire. So I, you guys have to come visit me at the Win uh, In the lobby, I have a new studio there with Blue Wire, Playbook Sports and Entertainment. We'll have you guys on as well. I have an office in a podcast studio at SoFi Stadium. I have my coaching, my speaking, my book writing, but they're all meant for one reason. I'm here to be of service and of value, to provide all the dummy tax that I paid. I paid a lot of dummy tax. I want to give that tax for free to everyone. I can't pay the state, especially for this guy down Darren on the bottom. I can't pay his state and federal taxes, but I promise you, I can pay your dummy tax. And it equals a lot more than the federal and state taxes. So I build my content at whatever level you're at to allow you to start understanding the blend of faith and money. How can we live in this world and have a higher thought? How can we live in this world and pursue our truths? How can we live in this world and simply be happy? Happiness is the greatest virus, guys. Forget the pandemic. Here's why happiness is such a virus. If you give to somebody, it makes them happy serotonin is released in your brain. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. The person that receives your gift, same thing. The dose occurs. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. But here's why it's so viral. All you need to do is witness giving. Like this program, people watch this, listen to this. By witnessing, giving, and receiving, as we have done here today, happiness is is released. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. It's so viral You can wear a mask, you can wear eye blinkers, but if you can hear this, if you can feel it, you're gonna get happy. And that's how viral it is. So you and I and Darren, we all can get together and empower over a billion people to have the greatest gift in the world, happiness. Happiness cures disease. Happiness, its people don't attack people when they're happy. They they don't cry when they're happy. They're not afraid when they're happy. So let's get out there. Let's make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun and teach
2: them to be happy the amount of wisdom that you've accumulated and apply is incredible. And I know that, you know, when we're younger people, you know, we know that we could have been from it if we had it. So I want to ask you, you know, if you had one word of advice, a quote, a phrase that you could give to a younger David, what would that be?
0: Same thing I have on my nightstand today. So 13, 23, 33, 43, 53, like I am now. Same advice, ask for help. I promise you, the fastest way to get to where you want to be is to find someone that's already there and ask them for directions. Asking for help is not only creating the most efficient, effective, and statistically successful way of doing something, but it also makes the other person feel really good. How good do you feel when people ask you for help? They're basically acknowledging your power or a superpower. They're allowing you to feel good and important and special. So ask people, give them the gift by asking them for help. And we are not afraid to give. We're afraid to receive. And so be ignorant and humble. Know that you don't know what you don't know. Ask for help. Those three words are on my screensaver. They're on my nightstand. So my prayer used to be when I was younger, may God put 10 people in front of me that I could help. Then it changed to may God put over 10 people in front of me that I can help. Today, my prayer is even more complex. May God put over 10 people in front of me that can help me. And may God put over 10 people in front of me that I can help. With that prayer, I have changed and impact not only my life, but so many other millions of people's lives because I can't give what I don't have. And the more things I ask for help with, the more I can give to others.
1: I love that wisdom. And it makes me think about my my past and the self-inflicted addiction of my past, which in that came some very valuable tools. And one of those was, admitting I had a problem and I needed to ask for help. And that, that humility today where I used to think humility was a sign of weakness and today through 12 Steps, I, I teach a little yoga and meditation and it, that's all taught me that humility is such a sign of strength. And like you said, just to be able to ask for help and in doing so you're actually empowering other people. It's such a beautiful thing. And a couple of things I want to touch on. I know we've got a few minutes left with you, but one of the things I've heard you say multiple times, maybe you can touch on this, to be more interested than
0: interesting. Can you touch on that? Yeah, be a hound. Meaning, how can I be found? How can it find, you know, the, the how can it be found thing? You know, I when as 18 year old, my brother gave me the best piece of advice. He was a doctor and I told him I hated hospitals and I was pre-med. He goes, are you kidding me? how are you going to be a doctor if you hate hospitals? I thought a sports doctor never had to be in a hospital because I wasn't more interested than interesting. See, the key to life is to be interesting, to be curious, to be creative, and those are all tied together. And so when you take the perspective of being interesting, not just speaking to people, but knowing what they're listening for and providing it so it's not just what you say, it's what they hear to understand and ask people open-ended questions to qualify. Most importantly, do you have a closed mind or an open mind? Because if you have a closed mind, I'm not going to let you believe me. I'm not going to waste my energy. It takes a thousand times the energy to deal with someone with a closed mind than it does an open mind. And then I use that process of being a hound to be more interested than interesting, to qualify someone with an open mind. Are you a sponsor of mine? Will you help me? Or will you find someone to help me, a power sponsor of mine? All of these things are determined about learning, being curious, and creative. See, when we do that, we are acknowledging, acquiring the, the knowledge, reminding, reconnecting, recollecting, all of these words, remembering. We are actually affirming that we're one when we're more interested than interesting by asking and understanding, learning, and being curious to be creative obviously the process of creation is the process of growing, accelerating, expanding. That only occurs what? If we're curious, if we're more interested. So be more interested than interesting and be kind to your future self. Do good deeds and I promise you good things are coming your way.
1: Talk to me about your uh, meditation practice. What does that look like? Maybe how it started and how it's changed your life.
0: Yeah, real quickly too because I have one of my favorite stories. <laughs> I'm on an airplane going to India and the small little doctor looks at me and she says, are you okay? I was so arrogant and ignorant at the time. I'm like, do you know who I am? She's like, no, seriously, you're so full of light, but you're blocking it. I roll my eyes. I'm like, this is a waste of time. This will be the longest flight. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, do you meditate? I said, no, only poor people broke on their mom's couch high and sick. They meditate dreaming about a Ferrari. I grew up with nothing from Akron, Ohio. I have a Ferrari. And it didn't come from meditate. I make everything happen. I don't have time to meditate. She said, Oh, that's too bad because I can teach you to vibrate faster. Like, what the heck is talking about? She said, Well, everything vibrates the earth, plants, animals, sound, light, and then thought. And did you know you can only be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than you? It's like, no, she said, Do you know what vibrates the fastest? I said, No, she said, the truth vibrates the fastest and through meditation. I can elevate your awareness to know the truth. She said, would you like to come to a workshop about meditation, Theta, Theta T-H-T-A meditation? I said, no, I told you, I don't have time. She said, oh, but I could uh, teach you to know when to buy yourself. I said, oh, I'm gonna make some time. And so she tricked me into meditation by putting it at my frequency, my level of scarcity, ignorance, and arrogance, which opened my mind, my heart, and my hands to meditation, which then opened my awareness to the power of practicing being quiet. And that's all meditation is, the practice of being quiet to elevate our awareness, to gain, as you both have said, this wisdom uh, that comes through me for you and others. And this is the key to life for me, is taking 20 minutes a day in order to have those downloads, the peace, to acquire a higher vibration so that things that seem simple to me Are complex or have created interference to others, and uh, meditation to me has changed my life more than anything else, more than any other practice that I do.
1: Thank you for that story. Thank you for the way that you explained it. I think that's that's powerful, and I think a lot of people have this story of I need to, I can't meditate, my mind never stops thinking, or I don't have the time to meditate. Which it's like this will actually give you more time. But you said it's all through being more aware. It's all about awareness.
2: Absolutely. Before we get out of here, man, I want to ask you. Uh, you know, we like to give love to the people that have supported us throughout our journeys, throughout our stories. Uh, if you could give a comeback story shout out to one person or a few people that have you know been there for you the whole way, who would those people be?
0: Thank you for the opportunity. It would be two people. One, my mom. I barely can say her name without choking up. I saw her on Sunday. So swear to tell my mom, as you should tell yours. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I love you and appreciate you. And then, of course, to my savior, my wife, I just am so grateful for my wife, my mom, and God, all yeah. allowing me to be the best that I can be and bring the best out of me. And all three of them, I'm forever in love with. And thank you. Appreciate you, man. This has been amazing. Thank you, guys. You Please come on my show, okay? Uh, we, want, we want you both on, on the playbook. So please come join me. Where can people find you? Well, I like people to email me directly. I give all my books for free, all my guys for free, david at dmelzer.com. If you want my book, ebook, audio book, I literally sign copies, send them, pay for shipping to anybody that asks, david at dmeltzer.com. Google me if you get lost, David Meltzer, and I'm all over the place. Uh, you can hate me for it or love me for it, but I'm all over the place.
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. I just want to acknowledge you directly for the value that you gave me. I don't think I've ever received so much value in such a small amount of time. So I'll be looking forward to re-listening to this when the podcast goes live. So we appreciate
0: you, man. Vice versa. Thank you both. Be kind to your future selves. Do good deeds.
2: This is what I represent. I'm that. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, okay. but every king's gonna get crowned.